Welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. So we just passed the one-year anniversary of Peachy Keen. Yay! Or I should say the one-year anniversary of Peachy Keen's first interview with Tatiana Venarusso. The interview took place right before she opened the Trio Gallery. We walked around and talked about her plans for the space. A year later, all of Tatiana's hard work has manifested itself into an amazing local venue for contemporary art. In fact, it was just voted by the readers of our venerable local weekly flagpole magazine as the runner-up for best place to see art in Athens in 2018. Congrats, Tati. Well done. If it weren't for Tatiana, I wouldn't have realized it was the one-year marker for Peachy Keen. She posted a cute little pic of me and her with my brand new mic at that first interview on her Instagram page with a very sweet, happy podcast anniversary wish. Thanks for that. And her post has sent me back into a kind of reflection mode about the podcast, thinking back on the first year. For me, it's been a great way to meet with women that I admire and talk art Um, which is, of course, my favorite thing to do. And it's really helped me focus on being part of the art community here where I live. I had naturally built a community of artists up in New York when I was there. I mean, that's the reason that I had gone to New York. But being back in Georgia, it's more of a home base for me, and I have a lot of connections here that have nothing to do with art. Family, and friends, which are super important, but I also think it's crucial for artists to connect and collaborate with other artists. I'm reading a book right now called The Art of Rivalry by Sebastian Smee, which is about this very thing, how relationships between artists can really help to push their work forward. These conversations that I've been having on the podcast are definitely reverberating in my own work. Talking about Art just fuels more art. I love having this dialogue. It's energizing and inspiring. So I just wanted to say a big thank you to all of the women that I've spoken to on the podcast over the past year. I hope it has also been helpful to you and also for you guys out there listening as well. So, Here we are with episode 13. Maybe had a little bit of bad luck jinx to it, or more likely, I'm just way too fucking busy. So anyway, here's what happened. I met with Karen Touches recently at the Swan Coach House Gallery. She'd curated a great show called Reconstructions that featured Shakura Kennard, who I talked to way back in episode 7. Shakura's work just keeps getting better and better, y'all, so you need to keep your eye on her. Make sure that you're checking out what she's up to. Um, So I went to see Shakura at her artist talk, and she introduced me to Karen Touches. Karen has done so much in the Atlanta art community that it's really unbelievable. I'll give you some links at the end so you can check out her credentials. She's an artist, a designer, a curator, a writer, I mean, she is a busy person. Of course, I wanted to talk to her on the podcast. So 
I made an appointment to go to her studio shortly after meeting her at the Swine Coach House Gallery. Flash forward a few weeks. It's a rainy Saturday morning. I text her I'm in my car on my way, heading out from Athens for her studio, which is in a large warehouse in East Point, Atlanta. When I get there, I call her, hey, it's Vivian, I'm here, to which she replies, I thought we were meeting on March the 25th. Yep, I showed up one whole month early for my interview with Karen. She felt sorry for me and was gracious enough to fit me into her very busy Saturday schedule. So we hit the ground running. We'd be the first house because it was like cheap. Like they get a deal, first one in. And I would be there playing in the, in the forests and streams and beautiful natural environments. And one by one, each lot would be demolished. And then the houses would start going up. And then we would play in the empty houses. Now I would play where living rooms would be someday. So I got to see the armature of the building industry. Right. From absolute nature to creating the tabula rasa uh-huh. for the house site, the house product. And then I watched as the house product got developed. And as I aged, the business matured. And I feel like I lived through the perfect arc of it. By the time I was a teenager and living in Houston, Texas, my parents were living in like a, a McMansion style. But they started out in humble suburban development. And so anyway, my sense of loss is absolutely, I, I am absolutely paranoid about loss of land because I grew up with constant loss mm-hmm. of natural environment. Mm-hmm. And from natural environment, idyllic, I had a lot of freedom, to commercial environment. And so I really see it as a mode of colonization and I really study the aesthetics. I think it's funny and sad, and I think it's absolutely representative of who we are as a culture. And I also am curious, as we move out into outer space, how that aesthetic of colonialism, that really you can trace it back, uh, you can trace it back to Greek and Rome. Right. Right? Like the Palladian window shape is one of my favorite shapes, and it is everywhere. If you, if you go to the exit sign just a little bit outside of every city and you see the tall signs with the long stems like flowers, right? Mm-hmm. All the signs have that palladium window shape. You know what that is? I have like, look here. Is it the, it's um, this shape. This yeah. has the arch on the top the and then the two areas on the sides where the, the side windows go. That's a classic palladium. Right. And palladio actually is not from Greece and Roman. He was reviving Greece and Roman for uh, you know 14th or 15th century developers in, in, in Italy. Right. And then later, when England decided, when it really expanded into early America, it brought Palladia to the Americas. So that, and I mean, you know, South America and North America. So then in the 50s, when we mass produced home products, what did we do? We mass produced Palladian architecture. Right. And here we are today with the Palladian windows. So these basic shapes, I think, are archetypal graphics. Mm -hmm. And so I like to, and also archetypal colors. 
So I really try to let the, I, I say my work is really about where the commercial environment meets the natural environment. And sometimes it's clatching and sometimes it's copacetic. Sometimes they're creating a really cool contemporary environment, but whatever that is, like I always want to bring that, that attitude, that aesthetics into the work. And I've been watching it for so long, like I feel like, I feel like I, I have it, I have it. So um, I wanted to show you what I'm working on right now that you see before you. Mm -hmm. um, I've been collecting real estate signs and bottom feeder advertisers um, materials for 10 years. So by collecting, you're taking photographs of them? So I have then... two processes. So, you know, I'm very much informed by my environment. To create work, to create ideas, all I need to do is go for a walk or go for a drive. And mm -hmm. it's starting to give. So I'm always, as a graphic designer, I'm always collecting, like, um, I'll show you. I have tons of notebooks, tons of them. Like, I'm always collecting graphics, colors, shapes. Um, sayings, like I just, I have tons and tons going back, 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 like, you know, just tons and tons of stuff going back. I mean, like my Florida forever stuff, like it's just, you know, and the recent one is, you know, it just goes on and on and on. There's a little astro mixed in, there's window design. Um, so I have used them the real ones like if I'm walking and I do a lot of walking because you can really feel your environment and you notice you can smell loss I can always tell when a lot is about to change in my neighborhood and those are the ones I hit that season <laughs> you know or I can always smell it's like something psychic kind of I can always feel when a house is about to go and I try to catch them. I'm going to show you also my disappeared houses after I show you the signs. Okay. So I, if the sign is laying on the ground or other ways maimed, I'll just take it if it's a good sign. Okay. Like you see these that are here. All right. Okay. These are ones that were down. And so I feel no, no, I have no problem taking them. Right. You're not stealing them. And I'll paint directly on top of them. And I actually have them up in a show right now. But I cast things from the insides of packages. Like cardboard packaging is another one of those things. Mm -hmm. Like now that retail has moved online, now the package has become a thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm creating power spots for the packages so that when I make the work, it goes in the package and you get the artwork in the package that's been marked with the power spot. So it's been transformed from something commercial to something. With the power spot. That's a power spot. That's a power spot. So power spot is me taking the power back. You know, part of my paranoia about the public space is, you know, who, who, who owns, who's a part of the public space? Who gets to dictate what our public space is like? Um, advertisers, developers, <laughs> right? Like who else? Maybe government? maybe very wealthy people. Uh, average people, especially in a city like Atlanta who ha aren't like living in one place for a long time, feeling really invested in a particular place, are not feeling they have the right to have a say in what the overall feeling of a place is like. Mm -hmm. And they're too busy. You know, I mean, we're busy. So that's one thing about street art that's great, even though sometimes street art aesthetics um, 
I, I can appreciate street art aesthetics, but I really like fine art better personally. So when I step in to do public work, it's usually not authorized. It's usually, or it's a photograph of a space and then I do it there, or I'll do a projection temporarily, like I take signs temporarily, you know, whatever. So the power spot makes a, a sacred mark on something that's commercial. Okay. So I'm mixing the spiritual with the commercial. I'm trying to clash the two together. So I'm taking the commercial and I'm altering it and I'm finding what's underneath. Like for instance, um, these are signs that were just great. I could see a message in it immediately when I passed by, but it was already standing. So I stopped and I photographed it on the road where I found it and then I put it back. And so I've been doing that more now. These are more recent. And then I'll just paint over it in the print. Um, and then they become, I can make all kinds of other messages. So I'll do a small edition of five of these. And maybe there are several different variations. Like maybe the colors are different. Or maybe I make a different message out of it. Like this one, um, I, I did one on the cement. And then there was like a patch of green also. And I'm trying, these are tests, so I was trying out different materials, uh -huh. and do I want to bleed it, and how it fit in the practice. So I had, being, I was getting these ready for a show, so I have two of them out. Do you say you have a show right now? Where is your show right um, now? The show is up at the Swan Coach House Gallery. It's beyond words, so okay. it's like about graphics. Um, uh, so I think when you uncode what's there, there's a hidden message, and that's the unconscious message of the advertiser. Okay. And you can get that sometimes with a sign that just ages and wears. Like, you know, sometimes something gets ripped off and it only leaves one part of the sign. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is like the... That's the more truthful message. That's the message that is there beneath everything. And it's, you know, maybe the guilty conscience or the, 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 the reality of a situation or it's just something funny. Like this one said extension group and buy house, you know, fast cash with the phone number. But if you edit it back, it starts to just give you the guttural feeling of what the sign is saying. Mm -hmm. It's just tension group with the awesome graphic. I love the brick roof. It's just so good. Look at that clip art with a bag of money. <laughs> so a lot of these are, I mean, are all, they're not all real estate, but a lot of them are A real lot. Estate. It started with real estate, but then, you know, I call them um, jumbles. Mm -hmm. So we all know this in our environment when we're at a crossroads and there's a jumble of signs. And that's free, free advertising space for the bottom feeders. And so they compete for that that view space from the cars and so all you have to do is stick stick the sign in the ground and so they start to compete and overlap with each other and their colors mix in a really good way and I feel like they communicate an unconscious desperation message of commercialism mm. but there's also present the landscape because they're in the landscape so that's why photographing them where I found them or I've been working with backdrops I, um, if you look over here, there's this um, forest. So I've been collecting my own stock photography of the hits of nature. Mm -hmm. And so I use them for projection pieces with coroplast. 
You see this the, the hits of nature. What do you mean by that? The hits of nature. Like like top 40 hits. Yeah. So like um Florida Beach. Okay. Georgia Mountains. Gotcha. New Mexico. Uh what else? I mean there's hundreds uh Savannah Coast. Um uh you know live oak trees, palm trees. Like the hits. Right. There it's not the real like we're no longer land based people. Mm-hmm. We are spiritual. Like we are virtual based now. Like we're right. not making our culture based on where we live and the specific environment. Right. We have a fantasy of what the nice environments are and all we have to do is project that onto where we live. We make images, that's where windows come in, we have screens. And it doesn't really matter what the environment's really like. And that's why development in the future would be so great for us. Because you go to the moon, there's absolutely no environment there. You build a white box and you have projectors. And you just project whatever landscape you would like to live in. And you could see we're already kind of doing that inside our homes. So anyway, I've been collecting the hits of nature. And I use them. I photograph, re-photograph the signs with the backdrop. And also, I project them onto coroplast. So coroplast is the material that the real estate signs are made on. It's okay. a really cheap petroleum product, and it's excellent for projection. Um, so you see kind of here, there's white vinyl on this. Mm-hmm. So when you, and I have different sign architectures, like see these here? Yes. Those are props for, so I'll, let's say I'll get a core class sign made in the, you know, you can buy it at Home Depot, a classic size of 24 by 18. It fits in a standardized Ikea frame. Mm-hmm. You build a form for the frame and you project through it and you have suddenly a two-sided sign. So you, let's say, for my Florida Forever show, mm-hmm. which is about real estate, but specific to Florida and water, rising sea levels, etc., and the clash between the fantasy of commercial property on the coast and the reality of water. Right. Negoti- renegotiating the coastline property with human beings because really the ocean's more powerful, but we just haven't come to terms with that yet. <laughs> so I had a piece that um, was a sign and has a graphic, like a beautiful 1940s Florida graphic with the line around it. I love the, the lines around um, the graphics, which are key. And then project, I have ocean from Alligator Point, which is one of the um, fast eroding areas on the west coast of Florida. It's already <coughs> been in the news, been in the newspapers many times. Um, and I projected the water rushing over the graphic and rushing away, like, like basically that classic stock photography of ocean. Right. And so when projected, on one side, the core class is really bright white, so one side is super sharp, and that would be maybe the blank side, so it looks like nature in a box. Mm-hmm. It looks like the ocean inside a box. And I just line it up so that it fits exactly. Mm-hmm. And then on the opposite side, you see the graphic on top of the moving nature the video of the nature. Mm-hmm. So in the case of the Florida sign, it Florida graphic appears and disappears, washes away. 
appears and disappears. So what is your relationship to Florida? You said you moved all over the place. Mm-hmm. Did you live in but Florida? But I never lived in Florida. Um, Florida was my heartache. You know, after I went, after I graduated um, from college in New Orleans, I, my parents were living here. Okay. And I was trying to make my way up the East Coast and ran out of money, so I was back and forth. And, you know, everyone from school would go to Florida for breaks and just for beach. It's so, I mean, it's absolute paradise. And I started visiting as a college student, and it freaked me out how commercializing, like, it was being developed, and there were, like, strip malls right on the beach, and. I just, it shocked me. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't prepared for how commercialized it was. And I felt really, I was so naive and I, I couldn't enjoy it through. But even after you had gone through this whole thing as a child where you were but, constantly. But it made me so, it makes me paranoid and sensitive. It didn't help me adjust. It right. just fueled my anger and frustration mm-hmm. and my need for fantasy. Where will I live? Where is my world? Where am I comfortable? Where the developer is not going to come and interrupt my space, and you know, thus the home becomes something sacred. And then when you start digging into that, the home is this manufactured product that's bought and sold, just like regular products. Like even that's not sacred. So anyway, Florida was hard for me. I couldn't really get with it. And everyone loved it so much, and I just couldn't couldn't enjoy it. Later, I ended up living here, and you know, it's a six-hour drive to Florida, and that's really like your your closest, most beautiful coast. And I I discovered um, some of the more natural areas, like Grayton Beach, and um, uh, like the um, that Tallahassee Panhandle area there. Uh, Cape San Blas is this amazing. Um, uh, nature preserve, public park with eight miles of uninterrupted dunes. It's on Mm -hmm. the peninsula. And so I started to find places I could go to see Mm -hmm. nature uninterrupted and found my way with Florida and was able to really love and appreciate it. And I started to accept the development. So trying to see the nature, feel the nature, not throw it away because it already has boxes and graphics all over it and it's owned by this and that, it's being bought and sold and it's this business and started to be able to see paradise, like what happens when people live in paradise, it's pretty damn funny. Mm-hmm. We just eat it alive, mm-hmm. we consume it. Um, so in order to enjoy it, I had to balance the two and make fun and play with how we crack it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this has been a long process, like a 20-year process. Right. Right. So for me, the Florida piece was just I wanted to focus for a second. I had this beautiful graphic sign that I had made, which happened pretty intuitively. And then I decided, well, I'm always making work about my environment, which is the like forest, urban forest area. And I want to focus on a different environment. So I kind of did graphics the cracked out graphics from Florida. So that's, uh, I saw this uh, Sun uh, Coke Brothers. Uh, sun signs. Sun signs. It's Did like you... one of those punny jokes. So you sun made this signs. up. Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't, and I was looking on your Instagram page and you had like hashtag 
fake news, and I couldn't determine if the Koch brothers really had a solar company or if you had completely okay. made this up. No, no, no. This is this is part of my redaction. Okay. So when I take a commercial message that's been created for a particular purpose, right, to mm-hmm. sell something, to manipulate others, to get into your head, right? If I take the message and I alter it to a different purpose, or I just take the power out of it, just just have fun with it for a second, lighten up, change the color, mm-hmm. edit it, like establish like my my participation in its message, right? Right. I'm helping myself feel empowered, right? And I'm helping human beings interact with it. Fair, fair game. With photography and virtual reality, it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. So the sun, it was, um, so I read this article in the New York Times about how the Koch brothers were um, actively doing gospel concerts and programming to black communities directly, giving away free tickets and having these gospel con- concerts, and then pulling people out of the crowd and giving them money for utilities. And the program was called um, Fueling Us Forward, mm-hmm. Fueling US mm-hmm. Forward. And it was an active campaign to discredit solar energy and natural energy because they wanted poor black people to think that that's bad for them. That oil and gas keeps things cheap and affordable. Right. And that they're in their corner. So this is an active campaign. There's this long article about it. Fuel U.S. forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a sun graphic that I had collected from South Georgia. I mean, of course, there's tons of sun graphics in the South because we right. the sun, and that's one of the ways that land-based identity has crept into our graphic language, right? So I collect sun signs. And then it's also a funny joke because, you know, I love astrology. Um, so let me show you the sun graphic. I have tons of sun graphics. I have wind graphics. I have graphics of all the elements, stars, I love what happens to graphics. There's my Florida graphic that I used for my um, video sign. Right. Um, it's like a name tag. Isn't it great? I love that outline. So hold on. There it is. So this is a bank in South Georgia. Mm-hmm. There's the graphic. I mean, isn't that a fantastic graphic? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. So I knew I would be working with that graphic a lot. Um, so, and there it is there, see? Yeah. So I was asked, I've done a lot of repurposing, like indie, unofficial repurposing of signs around town for Mm -hmm. empty signs, and we just hit it with some vinyl. And sometimes it stays and sometimes it doesn't. Like my best one ever was the sole purpose sign on Memorial on uh, Moreland Avenue, right Uh at I-20. It's been there for five years. Nice. And it's a total landmark now. Like people, (laughs) at first I, I didn't own up to it, but now people know and it's like, so I don't know how long it's going to last. So um, I wanted to do a sun graphic to try to counteract the Koch brothers' message. So okay. I added this graphic and I grafted it to fueling us forward. Mm-hmm. So instead of U.S., I said fueling us forward. And I said it's a solar energy campaign 
by the Koch brothers. Okay. So uh, trying to purposely put misinformation out there about their agenda. So it that worked because I couldn't figure out if it was real or not. the idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, so the best graphic, the best pieces, like my sole purpose, it's right next to a soul food restaurant uh-huh. and it's an old commercial building with the commercial signage. It's a 20 foot, 25 foot sign. People don't know it's an artwork. Right. And then they ask themselves, what is my sole purpose? <laughs> That's like a deep, heartful, sincere, soulful question. Right. It's also the name of an astrology book. Okay. So it's just, I just layer and layer and layer. And so what I love about it, and it's in the company of a lot of commercial signs. Many people just think it's a weird sign. Like, they don't know it's art. And to me, that's like extremely successful. Okay. If you can make something, like the fuel us forward You've sign. integrated it into the daily life to the point where it's not even... You can't... Is that real? Right. Do the Koch brothers have a solar energy company? Oh my God. Did you hear that? Oh my God. They're doing so- solar. That's what I want. Right. Well, it's working. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want. And so that's like... You know, I, I think it's so... And you had hashtag that signs of solidarity. Yes, so that was a movement. So that, the living walls uh-huh. and dashboard, mm-hmm. they will, they ask me from time to time to participate in their public art projects. Like okay. I'm kind of, I'm like the outsider public art artist because <laughs> I don't really like, I, I'm not good at red tape. Right. I don't want to ask permission. If I ask permission, then it's going to kind of out. It's going to be a spoiler. Right. You know, like I'm much better kind of down and dirty and underground. underground. Like that's my best zone. And um, so, but they know. And so now I get asked to participate in these things, which I'm always glad and they'll throw me some money. Mm-hmm. So they needed some signs really quick for the inauguration okay. to show. And they, they organized with several cities uh-huh. to, on the day of the inauguration, have politically positive signs in the public show up. All of a sudden, they have a whole crew of people that help. They're really incredible. So that sign was made. Is that rain? Yes. Okay. Like, what is that weird noise? It's nice, isn't it? So you can really hear it in the headphones. Oh, I love that. It's nice here when it rains. Yeah. This is a great spot. roof. So anyway, yeah, that was part of the signs for solidarity. So if you follow the hashtag. I'm sure you saw all kinds of other signs. Yeah, I started to look at it. But my but but my that. signs never like I'm always left of like I don't know I'm I'm out in left field, like my work isn't really fit into the genre of public art or graffiti or street art exactly. Like I prefer to speak the sign of graphic the language of graphic design, which is so close to the language of real life that it's uh, very indiscernible. Yes. Almost invisible, but then it surprises you. Mhm. And so you said when we were uh, coming in that you're not a southerner. No. So where do you, and but you you're from nowhere. Yeah. But like how but how I'm, can you say I'm more like everyone. I I'm more like the average person in America than someone that says that I'm from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'm from the colony that is every outside of every city in America. The suburbs. So I'm from the suburbs. So like arcade fodder. 
So, are you, where were you born? In Seattle, Washington. Okay. And how long were you there? Uh, till about eight or nine. Okay. And your parents moved around so much. What was their... My dad was in the oil industry. He oh. had one job his whole life. You see how dark this is? Yeah. Like, petroleum <laughs> products. Literally. My grandfather was a coal miner. Okay. So, this is a deep interest in energy that you're like navigating against really this is your these are extractions Uh uh-huh i'm extracting the graphics from the environment i'm doing my own kind of extraction Mm -hmm. and replacement and what about your mother my mother is a home ex teacher okay so she she was able to get jobs at all these different places i mean like did home ex fall fall out of fashion for a while she did my mother is a real humanitarian like, my mother's the country bumpkin. She grew up, her parents were, my, my grandfather on my mother's side was a coal miner. And my grandmother worked in the sewing factory. And she was, a, they were both artists. And, and where they were they? They were in Pennsylvania. Okay. So my mom's a country bumpkin. And my dad's born in Brooklyn. Hmm. And they met at a party in New York City. And um, so I'm both country and city. Mm-hmm. So my mother was like the homemaker and the, although she worked, she was, you know, cook, gardening, animals, babies, love, touch, like all the feminine, typical feminine. How many siblings do you have? I have one. Okay. And, um, you know, my dad was the corporate businessman, the salesman, do whatever it takes. And they're second generation Americans, so status and money and moving up in the world is very important to them. So you said you, Italian, is that on? On my mom's side. Okay. My dad's Lithuanian. Okay. Lithuanian Italian. Yeah, that's a crazy mix. So I'm just trying to imagine little you and you're like moving all around. How often do you think, how many times did um, you move? Not, I mean, it was not extensive. It was like every five or six years. Okay. And we, my father was afraid to fly, so and my mother is very close to her family, so we would. Oh, I did a lot of travel in the car, and before my sister was born, I'm the oldest. My father did something to me that forever affected my work, and well, many things, but this in particular. So his company cars were big enough that he could put a desk in the back seat. <laughs> So we would go five days across country sometimes. Oh, wow. And I had my office in the back seat of the car. That's amazing. With a surface and markers. What kind of car was this? I mean, it's like Oldsmobile. Like okay, typical like con- a boat. Captain, yeah, like company car. Like his ideal would be like a Cadillac because he grew up in the city without a car. Right. So bigger the better. Gotcha. You know, it's like he's an old crooner style kind of. That was his aesthetic. Uh-huh. Like they were not hip. They did not participate in the cultural revolution of the 60s, like they were out of it. Mm-hmm. They were on some other corporate money. So your when dad didn't, uh, was he like of the age to fight in Vietnam? No. Okay. He, would, he was He was not, he's a city guy. Okay. Doesn't even know how to screw a nail <laughs> into the wall. I mean like he, like my mother was handy, not him. He was like city, totally afraid of the outdoors. So you had this roving desk. This is, and you, your father is is this salesman type businessman. Businessman. So fast talker, New York City had the Brooklyn accent. They had to train it out of him, like that. Mm-hmm. F- 
fun, I like a partier, like my mom's the country bumpkin, the easygoing, and um, so they set me up in the back seat of the car with my desk, and I have the mountains of Montana, and North and South Dakota, and the plains of, you know, all of the beautiful landscapes of America flashing by me in the windows. What and were you I had doing? Markers. On markers. Markers. Markers and notes and graphics. I'm still doing it. So this is exactly it. This is an ex- extension it's of what you did. It's my ideal moving office. So I can remember um, riding around in an RV with my grandparents <laughs> and drawing landscapes that we passed, like little country landscapes yeah. in Tennessee. But you weren't drawing. No, well, no You were no. immediately drawing like... Mm-mm. I was architecture. So I was like signs and okay. houses and, and messages and imaginary things in the landscape. Colors. I was always a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. And you went to school for communications and creative Video. writing. Video. How did that happen? Well, because I got a little messed up on my last move. So I was uh, seen, I was going into my senior year in high school in Connecticut. And I really liked Connecticut. I had gotten settled in. And I got accepted to this amazing arts program at Wesleyan University mm-hmm. for the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I didn't have to move with my parents in my junior year. I got to stay right. to do that program. And it was unbelievable. I, I, I mean, it was, I don't know how many, a hundred teenagers my age living in dorms doing theater programs <laughs> and avant-garde music and photography. And I had the time of my life. And there was a cemetery on campus. I mean, it was like my ideal... And then from there, we had to move to Houston, Texas, suburbs, religious. So they had already moved while you were still at this. They moved while I was still at this thing. And then we moved. And this place was so restrictive. And the high school I went to was like, the arts didn't see, like, my parents were pressuring me to do regular education. And I just was like, if I can't make art, then fuck it. (laughs) Fuck it. And so I was like, what else could I do? So I went to photojournalism mm-hmm. and video production. I, I always was interested in video and film. So I thought, I'm going to be practical. I'm going to do screenplays. I'm going to make right. movies. Yeah, okay. And um, I quickly learned that the program, I got a scholarship to New Orleans, which was a really good move because... It was city, and New Orleans is a fantastic culture. And why did you pick New Orleans? Had you been there before? No, but my parents wouldn't let me go to school in New England. I'd gotten accepted to Bennington, which would have been amazing, but mm-hmm. very expensive. Right. And I got waitlisted to RISD, mm-hmm. and that was also very expensive and far away. It would have been hard to travel. My parents were like, no, you're going to go within hours of here. So how far is, uh, is Loyola from uh, Houston? Houston? Five hours. Okay. So you can drive. I could drive a weekend, and if they you were had co- to. they were cool with that. Okay. So I was like, okay, all right, all right, deal. New Orleans sounds good because I'm not staying in Houston. That's for damn sure. Right. Although Houston has excellent museums. Right. And while I was miserable and friendless and not fitting in with the Christian teenagers that I lived with in the suburbs, I was able to get in the car and go to the museums in downtown <clears throat> Houston, which are amazing. The Manil. I mean, the Rothko Chapel, I mean, 
there's great art. So this is like seemingly to me, you're very rebellious at a young age. Are you rebellious against your parents? Are they like religious and conservative? No, they're not religious. They were definitely Republican. Okay. And to the most part, they were good people, but not critical of the system that was manipulating their lives. Right. Are they in Atlanta still? um, My dad has passed and my mom's in Alpharetta. Okay. Which was the last neighborhood that I saw disappear before deci- before moving out on my own. And when did your dad pass? Uh, in 2013. So he was familiar with your work. What did he think about it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, in the early days, okay, I think they liked the status mm. of artists. Right. And as... Um, the internet became more and more of a thing. They really enjoy when relatives Google me <laughs> and I've got pages. It seems like maybe I'm a celebrity. Or right. Sort. Yeah. And that feels good to them and they liked that. But the work itself, in the beginning, because they were close in Atlanta, they would sometimes like come. Yes. And they were out in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like the conceptual stuff, like, I'm sure. So they were like, great job, honey. We support you, but we don't understand what you're doing. They don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Although now that I'm making some ceramics, my mother loves it, mm-hmm. which feels good. But yeah, <laughs> the extraction thing. I mean, it's cool. You know, I've been making these blocks of the landscape, um, and that's some of the Florida stuff is like that too. And um, they... I, re- I had a studio visit with a um, curator uh, for a new museum in Richmond and it was so influential because I had I've, I had been working on a big graphic of a diamond because mm-hmm. I'm that's another area of work I'm interested in is the extraction industry right so coal and diamonds and I also think that diamond business is akin to the art business there's a lot of similarities there mm-hmm. Um so I had, there's a great signs in North Georgia for the Ruby, it's yep. a Ruby Cinema, maybe you've seen, uh, it's heading north toward Clayton, Georgia. If you're yeah. going up to Hambidge, you'll mm-hmm. see it. It's on the left side and it's red and it's a giant diamond graphic. I have a whole collection of diamond graphics. Again, hits of nature. So do you go on little daily road trips a lot to get this kind of stuff and do you go by yourself or do you have a driver? I prefer not driving. Okay. If I could have a driver, I would be so happy. <laughs> yeah. If I so ever take win, pictures. if I ever win the Working Artist Award, I will have a driver <laughs> so that I can go out to the countryside and make notes. I have an electronic notebook on my. I have Note Four on my. You need camera. The, You need that same setup with the desk in the back of the. I would Buick. be my ideal situation. <laughs> yeah. I could have somebody driving, <laughs> and I could have my desk in the back with all windows, or it could happen in a plane. I could see that too, you know, private plane, but there's not a lot of signs in the sky. So. That's true. Actually, You know what? Actually, that's a good point because um, I did a residency two years ago in Greece and it was way out in the country oh. and, um, and I'm trying to get better at residencies because I want to see different landscapes. Um, and so I had to be in Athens, Greece. Right for several days, because we were trying to go to Istanbul, and it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And Scooby didn't go, because there was a bombing. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
the default was Athens, but the place, the residency was way out in the country was great. While I was there, my work was goofy, beautiful, like not my work. Like you were on vacation. I was, I was so happy. Yeah. I couldn't really kick it. I was Mm -hmm. too happy to make work. But the minute I got to Athens, I was exploding with, because I needed the conflict. Right. I need in order to work. I took the photographs that I had taken in the country and I projected them there in the city. So being in the plane, just like you said, is absolutely accurate. Like I would zone out, I'd be in La La Land, I'd be happy, I probably wouldn't make good work. But it's on the roadside where you're seeing it, the real battlefield mm-hmm. between commercialism and the landscape. Like that's really, that fuels my work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I and I feel that. like it's very American that way. <clears throat> yeah, totally. I mean, this is not a, always pretty, but funny. Often funny. It's it seems weird to me that more people like not artists, but like just your average people aren't as disturbed by these kind of um, conflicts in the landscape as artists are. Well, because <laughs> artists are taught or just naturally observe it yeah I'm like I'm I'm a terrible driver because I'm so distracted every detail I'm, I'm it's it's a playground of visuals right. for me and as a graphic designer like I'm so keyed in but most people that they're not allowed to have an opinion about that space so they just block it out I mean it's um there's a local architect who I've I've uh, interacted with many times. Her name is Ellen Dunham Jones. She's very famous for repurposing the suburbs. And uh, she said something early on that has always stayed with me. And she says that the suburbs we don't acknowledge as being part of our world because it's aesthetically not cool. Mm. But they're the majority of what we've built. Right. Why? So, and architects don't want anything to do. I mean, if you're an architect of any rank, you don't make work like that. Just like fine art doesn't look like this. Right. It looks, we know what it looks like. Follow Instagram. So the, if you want to work with what we're really doing, if you want to see who we really are, you need to look at what we're actually living in. Right. Something that actually reflects. Yeah. What yeah. Our, our daily visual is, but then, you know, you're making I, you're making work for future generations at that point. I mean, I guess. I mean, I just, I always wanted to, I mean, since I ended up settling in this area and I come from this place deeply, I feel like I want to channel it in my work. But so I how want did you end up at, at uh, Georgia State? Because that's where you oh, yeah. went back to school. I went, you don't have an MFA, but you have a post... Um, Bachelorette is that yes. what they call it. Yes. And I just always wanted to go to art school because my parents encouraged me not to. And I right. was having that difficult time when I was a teenager. And I just went to whatever school. And so I did not take eight art class zero because it was too painful. If I couldn't do it, then fuck it. Right? right. Like, well, I'm not doing it. I, it's too painful for me not to be able to. I need to go in a completely different direction. I mean, in a lot of ways, I continually tried to not be an artist. I tried, I did graphics, like, too hard. Mm -hmm. I don't want to fight. And it kept coming up, like, I have so much to say. And as a graphic designer, you're of service to 
the communication of someone else right. and I have my own messages and I was learning so many things um, so um, uh, I forget what were you so Georgia State how did you end oh, up there so um, I was making a good living as a graphic designer like it was easy were you in Atlanta I was living here and how did you get in Atlanta then so I so after school I applied with another girlfriend of mine for this um, communications consortium in DC. Mm -hmm. I was interested to get into politics, and um, I always like I wanted to get closer to New York City, and um, I knew I could do graphics. So I, I wrote this really radical essay about a message written in the sky, uh -huh. and it got me through, and I got into this like free work program for the summer with another friend of mine. It was like this very liberal, democratic um, communications group. And um, I lived for a summer in Washington, D.C., and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved it, being with the museums and the intellectual and the cultural mix and the food, it was just a great time to be there. And I ran out of money. Uh -huh. And after the thing was over, I couldn't get a jobby job. And I couldn't afford rent. And so I'm like, okay, help, help. And I went back home and lived in my parents' basement for a little while. And that was Alpharetta. Okay. That's when I got to Atlanta. And, um, and then I just And what year was that? Oh, God. That was probably 94. Okay, so you've been here for a long a time long for such an itinerant time. soul. Well, but that's why. Yeah. I need home. I, I'm like, I'm a person that would have stayed in the same home my whole life and had a garden and a wine cellar. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, that would have been my personality, but it wasn't my fate. And... Um, I want to show you my disappeared houses before we um, stop because okay. they're very um, informative. And I still do these. I have now a higher resolution camera. Karen and I spent a while flipping through her works on paper and her source imagery. For the Disappeared Houses series, which she's been working on for around a decade, she makes what she calls psychic predictions about which houses in a neighborhood may soon be lost. She photographs them and then paints over the image of the house, filling them in with colors that match the surrounding landscape, moving backwards to return the house back to the empty lot. The painting is more distorted than the photographic version of the landscape. This leaves a visible box-like boundary, which appears as a sort of ghost of the house. We move around the studio, discussing works in progress. She shows me her process of editing the lettering on one of her images, moving around some black cutouts on top of a sign to change the way it reads from fence man to e-man. I ask her about some photos on her studio wall that were of double right, towers. So I was collecting ads and ar architecture from the ads. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, the, and attitudes about nature, you know, like, oh so my I have just tons and tons of clippings from that time. I have a clipping of um, some Trump Towers in here mm -hmm. with Ivana 
like I mean I have I have a good collection. Yeah, this I'm is not, what year is this? This I is mean, like this a is, crazy. This is probably two thousand four or five. Um, and I'll, so we were really this is before the crash. Okay. So this this is really cracked out and a lot of Florida too, by the way. But it's oh I love this. But you know, I was in New York on 9-11, so oh, wow. I, when I look at these towers, that's the first thing that I Double. see. Well, that's the reason like, why I picked that one, because it does have a little bit of the Twin Tower thing going, but um, it's not. Right. It's just I mean, I can see that neither of those are the Twin Towers, but there's two different sets of towers that are kind of like a big absence. Well, and also what I like about that is, um, you know, graphically speaking, the single penis tower <laughs> right. is not as exciting as the double. Right. That's funny. So, <laughs> I mean, because there are so many graphics to use, and I collect a lot of them, but when it comes right down to which ones I'm going to use, I really, I, I narrow it down to just a few until I get it right. You know? Double penis. <laughs> as we continue looking through photos, she shows me a picture of a palm tree between two apartment buildings next to the ocean. She takes out a piece of what looks to be red, transparent mylar or vellum that has been cut like a mat with a window out of the center and holds it over the image so the apartment buildings are hidden by the mylar and the palm tree appears to be alone on a pristine beach. The palm tree image mm -hmm. out of the photograph. You have a picture-perfect Florida sense. In between the... But look where it is in reality. <laughs> it's hilarious. And so I, I'm i not sure. I'm going to do a whole series around this photograph until I get it right. Like glass. I'll do it with ceramics. I'm going to pull. So it's just another one of those taking the power back moves. Is if I'm going to be the extractor. Yeah. I think that's very interesting because when you're dealing with real estate, you know, when people take real estate photos, they leave out all of the normal stuff, like the buildings and the parking lots and the that's light what you fixtures. That's edit what's yeah. really there for the ideal. Yeah. And to, I, I posit that most people are not in touch with what nature's rough and tumble. Right. And it's not always kind. I mean, God, watch National Geographic videos sometimes, a lion, you know, going in for the kill. But it also is, nature has been so kind to us in our conscious, like, you know, the last couple hundred years, nature has not given us a hard time, but now it is starting to give it, it's starting to rear up and, and give us a run for our money. That is why I love the Florida thing so much. Like, you understand, it's a, it's a, uh, a victory lap. And I still think Mother Nature is going to be kind with us. I don't think she's going to disappear Florida, which is temporary, by the way, because it appears and disappears in geologic time, right? You know that. Mm -hmm. So it's on its way out, but I don't think it's going to happen suddenly. I think it's going to happen slowly. And so we slowly say bye-bye to that coastal property. And that's the thing that the business-minded people, the absolute capitalists, didn't see coming you know we talked about you know which system is going to be our modern globalized world is it going to be communism is it going to be capitalism and turns out neither accommodated for nature and so now mother nature with global warming is like hey you know what? you need to watch out i can take it from you if you like 
I'm more powerful than you, really, actually. Yeah. But I've just been kind. But I'm not always kind. And hopefully it won't be terrible. I don't want to see people suffer. I hope in the Aquarian age that we're going to help everyone migrate from the coast and be safe and be okay. I hope it's not just the wealthy that will survive this change. I think if we help everyone makes this transition, then we're going to be very humanitarian global culture because we're going to feel like we helped everyone. I don't but feel it like doesn't Puerto look, Rico is not a good indicator at this point of what's going to happen. No. It doesn't look good, but that is and this is a big cycle we're at the very beginning of it and we've come a long way. I mean, look at the food movement. I didn't see that coming. That's true. I did not see that coming in the 90s. I thought it was hopeless. So you could be surprised. This is a big global issue that we're going to have to solve. How we solve it is going to determine who we are for hundreds and hundreds of years. What are we going to do? And how kind is nature going to be? Is it going to give us enough time to design ourselves out of this? Or are we going to have to leave the planet? <laughs> and a lot of people have a fantasy of leaving the planet. they just rather give up on this problem and start somewhere new. Yeah. Elon Musk. I mean, if you're that wealthy, that's an option. It's a big fantasy. We've been making movies about it forever. The unconscious mind and space, what we project onto future space is unbelievable. But the actuality of space is this cold, hard, and dark. It is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. A lot harder than fixing the problems here on Earth. I'm kind of like, let them go. <laughs> <laughs> All you greedy bastards, go get, take capitalism to Mars. Go for it, man. <laughs> I'll be right here on Earth and, and enjoy my Florida coast property that I bought for $2,000 that's sinking into the ocean. Awesome. That's where I'll be, <laughs> sipping a margarita. <laughs> well, Karen, thanks so much for having me today. I'm going to let you go since you were so kind as to come at the last minute and uh, when I wasn't supposed to be here for a full month. So <laughs> I, I probably would have shown you something different. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but thank you so much for You're having welcome. me in your studio. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to turn this off and save it. That was some deep rainy day chatting with Karen Touches. Thanks so much, Karen, for having me in your studio on such short notice. Karen currently has work up at the Swan Coach Gallery as part of the Beyond Words exhibition, curated by Hope Cohen, that focuses on artists using a combination of words and imagery. In this episode, Karen mentions her Florida Forever show. That was a solo exhibition at Day and Night Projects that was up over the summer. I've got a link to a video from that opening, so you can see some of her projections, and a link to her website as well, up on the Peachy Keen page of my website at vivianladell.com. You can also find pictures of my studio visit with Karen, images of some of the works that we talked about, and a link to the Peachy Keen Patreon page if you would like to help support the podcast. We will be continuing the Florida theme in the next episode or two as Peachy Keen goes on spring break to Orlando. Until then, hope y'all are enjoying this early spring and that your days are peachy keen.